Welcome to Innovation Files. I'm Rob Atkinson, President and Founder of the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. We're a DC-based think tank that works on technology policy. And I'm Jackie Wisman. I handle outreach at ITIF, which I'm proud to say is the world's top-ranked think tank for science and technology policy. And this podcast is about the kinds of issues we cover at ITIF, from the broad economics of innovation to specific policy and regulatory questions about new technologies. Today, we're going to talk about computer science education. And despite surging demand, computer science education has only recently begun to gain traction in U.S. school systems. And in our view, policymakers at all levels of government should be expanding access to rigorous, high-quality courses in both high school and college. And today's guest has a great perspective on this, and I'm excited he's with us. Pat Young Pratt is the Chief Academic Officer for Code.org, a nonprofit dedicated to promoting computer science education. He spent most of his career as a computer science teacher and has also written and consulted on technology curricula at the local, state, and national level. And we're so happy to have you here, Pat. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So, to kick things off, why don't you give us an overview of Code.org and its mission? Code.org is a national and also international nonprofit. We started our work in 2013, and it all started with a video that our co-founder, Hadi Partovi, and his brother, Ali, uh, decided to create to promote computer science education. And they felt like they needed to give back to the world what they had received and what they had used to build their success and their fortunes. And so they decided to create a video featuring a lot of uh, computer science personalities, um, including very famous people like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg. And that video actually hit number one on YouTube for a day. And because of that, Hadi decided to make Code.org a real deal education nonprofit, something beyond just a promotion. And so we promote computer science through events like the Hour of Code, which is one of the largest educational events uh, on the planet. We uh, advocate for computer science through state, national, and sometimes international policy, and that's where I spend most of my time. Uh, We create free curriculum, free tools, and uh, we also run a large uh, regional partner network of almost 60 partners nationwide that has provided professional development in person now for about, well, over 100,000 teachers over the last six years. Wow. And then all that, all that, uh, you know, the mission is to make sure that every student in every school has the opportunity to learn computer science. Pat, you you have kind of a really, I think, you know, really important and cool role at Code.org. And that's really to help policymakers understand why this is so important and to make the needed changes they, they should be making, including at high schools. And, uh, you know, we've been focused on CS a lot at ITIF over the years. One of the reasons we think we need more and better is because while foreign talent is certainly important to the U.S. economy in terms of CS and other STEM education roles, we can't really rely on it in the long run. Folks may not want to come here eventually. They may stay home. We saw that with Taiwan. When they got richer, they didn't come to the U.S. as much. Same with Korea. So, the other reason I think is important is is a real opportunity for underrepresented groups. Uh, CS can provide good roles, good occupations, good wages for them. And also, I think people miss this. CS skills are foundational in many ways for helping a variety of other professions. More and more professions are becoming data-driven. And while you don't need to be a CS engineer for them, having some level of CS uh, literacy, if you will, can play a, a role in that. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
computer science playing a larger role in just literacy in general? Well, in terms of just, I think there's a couple of ways to think about CS. One is just for kids who are going to be computer programmers or mm -hmm. designers. And then there's a sort of broader level of, 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 of literacy. I guess at the base level, it's like, well, everybody should learn Word and, and PowerPoint. I'm talking about something between that and really, really knowing how to program an AI or something, somewhere in the middle that those yeah. generic skills are going to be more important is the thought. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it was the 80s when people really started realizing everyone should learn how to type and use Microsoft Word and things like that. And, you know, there was a big boom in computers in schools. And uh, I was part of that boom. I remember the Apple IIe and things like that. I think digital literacy or computing literacy these days is very different than those base skills. And I think it, what it means is what you're talking about, going closer to the creative side of computing and not just the using side of computing. And so whether that's creating a game, an app, a website, or creating a new technology that will end up being used to uh, create a vaccine for COVID, uh, which I think has been done. I think this, this, these mRNA vaccines that have been developed or are being developed uh, rely heavily on computing technology because they're based off of genetic sequencing. So, you know, what, whether it's something like that or something, you know, something easier, just, you know, creating a neighborhood website um, for a, a community event. Um, the idea is that uh, kids, kids that need to go beyond just the, the typing and the using these days. In the 90s, uh, my computer science education just consisted of Oregon Trail and like a, a very primitive Jeopardy game that we would play. And that was really it. And I'm sure Rob Atkinson, my boss, would uh, wishes a lot that I had access to better computer science education. Mine was on an IBM Selectric typewriter. Mm. But look at you now. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember the first time, actually. So, you know, whenever I talk about why computer science, I could go to the, you know, the economic arguments, which I think you, you touched on. Then there's the social equity arguments, which you also touched on. What I'd like to do is just talk about the amazing opportunity we have to shape our world these days because of the ability to shape uh, the one and zero, the bit. And, you know, back in the day in terms of technology, you know, people had to work with wood and steel and coal and steam and things that are really hard, much harder to work with. Nowadays, we can, from our phone, from a keyboard, from our home, we can create these amazing things. Whether you're a kid, a five-year-old, or you're a 55-year-old, you have access to the, the same technology uh, that can really reshape the world. And so why wouldn't we want more kids to have that experience and have that power at their fingertips? And how do you think we're really doing as a nation? I mean, my daughter has access to, you know, an insane amount of technology, and she's pretty literate as a five-year-old already. But it seems like we, you know, we've made a lot of progress, but there's still a long way to go policy-wise as a country. So I do a little international policy. And at the international level, most countries that I deal with have a very strong, well, when I say strong, I mean very centralized federal education system. Whereas we are the United States of America, people forget that. And we have multiple departments of education. And so if I were to answer that question, I have to first compare us, the U.S., to other countries. And on the bright side, we have a huge community 
of people who care about students getting the opportunity to learn computer science. Whether that's the CS for All consortium, which is a consortium of all these people, or individual large nonprofits that work with each other, or uh, state departments of uh, you know supervisors in state departments of education, whether they're officially computer science state supervisors or or not so, we have a huge community of people working together. I mean, Code.org itself has the Code.org Advocacy Coalition, which is almost a hundred organizations that work together to advance policy, whereas other countries might have a federal mandate from their central ministry of education. What they don't have is the infrastructure that we do have. So I think we're doing really great in terms of being able to offer professional development to teachers. In many states, that professional development is funded through the state. Obviously, there are federal, there are federal funds through, through Perkins. So these things are, are, are positives. Now, obviously, the negative is that uh, right now, still only 47% of high schools actually offer a foundational computer science course. So that 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 stat uh, I got from the uh, the 2020 State of Computer Science Education, which Code.org, the Computer Science Teachers Association, and the Expanding Computing Education Pathways Alliance, an NSF-funded project, just co-authored uh, a month ago. So you know, less than half. You know, that's partly because we are the United States of America. You know, states are doing their own thing, and you can't just command something like that. Sure, although. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's a combination of, first of all, the feds could incent, uh, they could encourage, they could coordinate. Um, and then obviously states have to figure this out on their own. You know, we wrote a report a few years ago called The Case for Improving U.S. Computer Science Education. And one of the points we made is that one of the reasons it's hard in some places is that states, uh, ever since the 1983 commission uh, report uh, called The Nation at Risk, there was this view that if we don't force kids to take more and more requirements, that somehow we're going to get left behind. And, you know, I, I can only, I, first of all, in a lot of states, there's very room, little room for electives. I see that here. We live in Montgomery County. I know Pat used to teach in Montgomery County. You know, my daughter has to take four years of English. Um, why? Why four years of English? So, you know, especially for kids who are really interested in CS and maybe want to take three years of CS or four years of CS, you just, it's very hard to do. I'm just curious. I know you've been working with some states where they've allowed CS to count, for example, as a math requirement to get, open up a little bit more space. Do you think we need to do more things like that? I think I think states just need to. I think states need to get more flexible around how they structure their graduation requirements. For example, I believe Connecticut, and I don't know if they've already passed this. I remember when they were just proposing it. But uh, Connecticut was a state that was going to create a STEM pool. So basically you had to, there was a pool of, who knows, 18, 19, 20 different options. And you had to take oh, eight of those options to graduate. And so rather than just dictating four years of this, four years of that, et cetera, et cetera, you get a whole pool of things to pick from, but you have to take multiple from that pool. And uh, of course, some kids, the majority of kids will pick something obvious, like maybe biology, but then, you know, they don't have to go on and take, you know, chemistry and this and that and this, you know, earth science or whatever. If they're not interested, they can take other things. So that's what I would suggest, just creating more pools for graduation requirements. And yes, computer science does count for math and science in many states. What's interesting is that some states are now moving towards 
making computer science a requirement of its own. South Carolina has a one-year graduation requirement in computer science. Nevada has a half-year requirement. And Maryland, where we live, requires students to have some type of computational thinking experience by the end of eighth grade. So somewhere in middle school, some type of experience like that. It counts towards the, uh, the school report card per ESSA. And then at the high school level, there is a, a currently a technology credit, but actually, Rob, some news for you. It's been proposed by the Department of Ed to turn that into a computer science and engineering credit. So more, no more this vestigial woodshop tech credit uh, experience, but something much more advanced and with, you know, more relevant options, computer science and engineering, right? You know, it's funny, one of the points that we've made in another report that we wrote um, called Refueling the U.S. Innovation Economy was that about 80% of the jobs in STEM in the U.S. economy are related to CS or engineering, and yet we don't teach them formally in high school. We teach biology, chemistry, and physics, which we started doing that, I think, in 1912, as I recall. So, yeah, it's it's gratifying to hear that you know, these reforms are happening slowly, but you know, we're making progress. You know, another issue, Pat, I wanted to ask you about is, is, is really the issue of quality. Uh, you and I met when we were, when, when you were kind enough to actually tutor my high school son, who was uh, taking uh, the computer science AP test, and uh, he passed. So that was, obviously, you did a great job with him, and he's actually employed now in, in a CS job in Silicon Valley. So that whole thing worked the way it's supposed to work. But you know, overall, his high school experience, not not you, but the actual courses, uh, you know, they weren't great. You know, he, he wanted to learn all about encryption, but there was never that chance. He wanted to learn a little bit more theory and concepts, a lot of JavaScript programming. You think, first of all, is that, a, is that an issue? Should we kind of have more advanced CS kind of capabilities? And secondly, how do we do that? Because it's hard to get CS teachers. Well, let's just start with that. We need CS teachers. Uh, if we have CS teachers, then we can have CS teachers who increase their professional development and are able to offer those advanced courses. But right now, I mean, if you just have computer science, then you're doing better than most schools. And, and that's, that's obviously what was uh, David's experience. Uh, and he's just lucky that he got to take a computer science course. Now, since then, so that was uh, 10 years ago, maybe something like that. Yep. There's been a big shift in how computer science curriculum is structured, I would say, across the U.S., mainly because of two or three different things that have happened since then. So the, the production of the K-12 computer science framework, the CSTA uh, 2017 standards, as well as the development of the Advanced Placement Computer Science Principles course. What these have done is broadened what we think about in terms of computer science. So beyond just programming in Java or Python, it does, uh, it does hits things like encryption, um, data science, the impact, the ethical and social impact of computer science, internet, networking, things like that. None of those, which I just described, were part of the traditional computer science classroom in high schools before these documents, these, these courses were created. So things have changed. And if you hop into any, I would say, any quote-unquote high-level high school that, that offers rigorous uh, curriculum, you'll, you'll see that it, you know, most of the computer science curriculum is going beyond just traditional programming. 
Well, that's great to hear. And one of the criticisms of a lot of tech firms is that their CS workforce is just not as diverse as it should be or could be. But a lot of that lack of diversity is reflecting pipeline challenges where fewer women and minorities are getting CS degrees. And I'm curious what you think we should be doing to improve that at the high school level. At the high school level, the problem is not the high school level. I'd say if we were to really improve that issue, we'd have to start at the early middle school level where, you know, research has shown in in just general STEM research, as well as uh, a bit of research in particular to computer science, that right around early middle school is when you see a big bifurcation in, in the interest among girls and boys in STEM and computer science. So before then, about equal, actually. And then right around early middle school, things change greatly. And there's this huge gap that forms, that gap extends to high school. And uh, it's hard to convince uh, a young woman to take computer science at that point, because if she looks at the class in high school, it's mostly boys anyway, even now. But if you change the system and change the, the, the courses and change that girl's perspective early on, she will be much more likely to to take that high school course. So basically introducing computer science earlier is probably the answer. Yeah, it's almost like a, a psychological shift that has to happen. I wasn't expected to be interested in math. And it was never, you know, sort of like my mom and my grandmother were bad at math. So I was sort of expected to be bad at math, too. And it was this kind of expectation that I would be really advanced in kind of the languages and the arts and things like that. And so that's what I pursued. And I think that that's true for a lot of women my age. And I hope that we kind of as as a a nation and a, a society kind of shift that for our daughters. And and you know what? So there was a a Google Gallup survey done in, uh, well, just, I mean, it was done in 2020. It was done before COVID uh, hit. And they just released their results uh, about a month or two months ago. Um, And they found that teachers actually encourage both girls and boys at equal, I'll call them rates, equally, but parents don't. And parents, surprise, surprise, are encouraging their boys to take computer science more than the girls. And so there's a huge, there's, there's just a, a big opportunity for parents to encourage their daughters to, to take computer science. Pat, when we were, I don't know, geez, it must be a year and a half ago, there was a panel that I was on and you were, you were there as well. And it, I can't remember the name of the group. It was an international group that study, that assesses CS um, ICILS. Pardon? I-C-I-L-S, I believe, right? Was that it? I think so. I-C-I-L-S. Yeah. What I was struck by, one of the things that they did is they they measured different measures of, of CS thinking and capabilities among high school kids. And to Jackie's point, what was really interesting is there were a bunch of countries, not a lot, but there were countries there where the girls were doing better than the boys, which really tells you that it's not it's not some genetic thing inherently. You can do it. These countries have shown you can do it. These girls in the, in the high school level were outperforming the boys, and in which case you would assume that would lead to similar performance in college where they hopefully would go out and major in those as well. So it shows that it could be done if we just put our mind to it. It's a confidence thing. Yeah, it's a confidence thing. Yeah. I was talking once to a, a woman, a Janet Hugo, who leads the Arkansas Science and Math High School. I forget the name of it. And 
I always remember this comment. I, I said, what, what, what's special about these high schools? She said, one of the things that's special about these high schools is the girls feel they're, they're able to do so much better in these high schools because the expectation for girls is to do well in these high schools and they don't have all the other distractions. I thought that's, that's interesting. So some of it's culture and in, environment. So maybe one one last question, Pat. I know a lot of our listeners are in Washington or, you know, federal level in some way. And as you've said, a lot of this is state and local, county, states. What are some things you think that Congress could do or should do, you know, that would help move the ball in the right direction here? The last administration, which is still the current administration, but it'll, it'll be changing pretty soon. Um, the last administration actually did a, a very good thing in that it... There are these national grants being run out of uh, the Department of Ed, and uh, one is called EIR, another one is called SEED, and they actually prioritize, make computer science a competitive priority in those grants. So that's one thing that the feds can do um, uh, from the Department of Ed level, just continue to make computer science a competitive priority. In addition, uh, there is the Computer Science for All Act which basically uh, provides money for pre-service education and teacher PD as well. So in-service teacher professional development money. That, that was proposed as part of uh, Obama's CS for All initiative in 2016, where you know, he it was to the tune of $4 billion. It was never going to be passed. But if the feds, there is an opportunity for the federal government to make a big splash in computer science. I think a number of our legislators agree, like Jackie Rosen in Nevada. I think she is sponsoring the cs for all Act. But, uh, you know, we'll see how, if any of these big measures can get passed. Well, there's certainly, we're going to be in a new political environment, obviously a different party in the White House. And then uh, it, who knows how it's going to go, but certainly one could hope that particularly around some of these critical challenges facing the country, COVID obviously being one, recovery being another, but really this whole notion of STEM education, CS in particular, are both around opportunity and competitiveness and growth. That hopefully that could see some bipartisan, you know, working together, moving some things along. So keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, Rob, and, and you know, speaking of your, your audience, you know, audience folks out there who listen to us, it you know, one of the easiest things probably is to just include computer science in some of the programs or offerings that you're that are already out there. So I remember the the I forgot what it was called the the STEM Act in 2015, something like that. It added computer science to the federal definition for STEM, which opened up a lot of things at at the state level. For example, in Maryland, because of that, any STEM education program had to include computer science in it as well. So little things, well, it's not a little thing, but, you know, doing things like that really make a big difference uh, at the state level. So if you're a federal policymaker, just figuring out how to include computer science and what you're already doing is, is one of the easiest and one of the most effective things to do in the short term. Yeah. And one, you know, one blessing on that. What's interesting is I think some of the, some members think, well, that CS thing, that's really only for Silicon Valley, Boston, maybe Austin, Texas, but there's a report we wrote recently, and it, it showed the number of CS jobs in 
each congressional district. And yeah, there aren't as many maybe in, you know, in Wyoming one, but there are still a bunch. Uh, You know, the CS jobs are all over the place. People working at banks, working at retail, working at hospitals, uh, working in local government. Uh, CS is everywhere. So uh, hopefully that, that understanding is growing, that it's not just something that Silicon Valley needs. Yeah, I'm working remotely now as well. Yeah. I mean, and and what 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 job is easier to well, I don't know about easier, but just makes the most sense on a computer, computer science, yep. I guess, you know, like yep. remotely. I mean, that it just makes sense. It's all bits anyway that are being sent around. No, and that's going to I think I think, you know, with a lot of the tech companies now saying, "Hey, if you want to be remote, you can. We've seen it can work." You know, I think a lot of folks would be like, why Why am I living in a trailer in Silicon Valley with, you know, gazillion dollar rent? You know, maybe I can go live in Wyoming in a nice little town and you'd be near the mountains and have a nice, you know, reasonably sized house. So hopefully we'll see more of that. While you're giving Maryland a lot of compliments for its CS education initiatives, it's worth noting that our state new economy index, which ranks states, you know, several metrics contributing to an, a, a robust innovative economy consistently rates Maryland high. It's it's in the top three, top five. And I don't think that it's its investment in CS education is any coincidence. Not a coincidence at all. I mean, Maryland has the third highest high school rate of offering computer science. So the number one is Arkansas, 89%. Rhode Island's 86%. Maryland, 83% of our high schools offer computer science. And actually that data is from 2018-19. So it's not even from last school year. We do, you know, a bill passed HB 281 a while ago in 2018, requiring all of our high schools to offer computer science 100 percent by the by next school year, actually. So um, I suspect that we actually will be very close to 100 percent by next school year. No, that's great. Yep. So, Pat, thank you so much for being here. It'd be great to get together in person sometime. We see each other around town at various uh, CS and STEM events, but it was really great uh, talking with you today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And the, the CS party crowd, you guys rub elbows, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a huge scene. You know. Well, thank you, Pat. And that is it for this week. If you liked it, please be sure to rate us and subscribe. Feel free to email us show ideas or questions to podcast at itif.org. You can find the show notes and sign up for our weekly email newsletter on our website, itif.org, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at ITIFDC. And we have more episodes and great guests lined up. New episodes will drop every other Monday, so we hope you'll continue to tune in. 